Hey, everybody. Thank you so much for coming in, hanging out for another episode of O Jeremiah Talks. Usually, this is the podcast where my wife Erin and I sit down and talk, but this week it's a little bit different because we have Quinn Irwin. We talk today about what it was like to write the song Everything is Beautiful. It's the latest single that we just released, and it's the first song we've ever co-written. And Quinn is the guy I wrote the song with. We met 10 years ago, and we have been really great friends ever since. And we talk about all of it. We talk about co-writing. We talk about creativity. We talk about um, getting in your head and learning to be sad when you're just not used to it. Uh, We talk about all of it. Quinn is one of my best friends, and I love him dearly. And I'm so glad that that he joined me for this. So if you want more stuff like this, head over to our Patreon page where we have, for one, the other half of this episode, which is a solo podcast featuring me. And uh, we have some really fun news on the RV that we talked about. We have a big update over on Patreon today. So go check that out. And if you want that, just go to ojeremiahtalks.com or patreon.com slash ojeremiah. And we cannot wait to see you over there. But that's it. Let's get into it. Me and my BFF, Quinn Irwin, talking about co-writing. It's all happening. Here we go. I wanted to be you talking on the intro. I together. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, one of my closest friends, one of my favorite people on planet Earth, the one and only Quinn Irwin. How the heck are you, Stop. my friend? Dude, you can make me blush. <laughs> Dude, hey, it's so good I to listen, see you. Hey, I just want you to know, I listened to your last episode and and heard you talking about me. Oh, did I talk about I want, you? You totally did. I probably talk about, about you. Me. I probably talk about you a lot. <laughs> if I'm honest with you, man. Well, because well, we were we were talking. Uh, you talked to Aaron about everything is beautiful and how that song happened. Yeah. And and that was like a really big moment for us. Yeah. Well, let's let's get let's get to everything is beautiful. Can we start at the top though? So okay, you you and I go further back than most people that I still keep in contact with. And yes. it all started with the last band I was in before O. Jeremiah, which was the Mount Rushmores. Yes. And your last band, Afterlife Parade. Afterlife Parade, so yes. Go, so yes. Uh, do you remember the first time we met? I remember it very vividly. I also remember it very vividly. I would love to hear your take on it. Okay. Um, so, well, well, first of all, uh, one thing that we have in common, even before that, is we both went to the University of Southern Mississippi. Yep. And so we had ties to Hattiesburg. And at the time, after Life Parade, that was like our first real tour. We've been playing a little bit in Nashville, but we got this opportunity to do Southern Miss's tailgating event. And so we were trying to take advantage of being there. And um, we had a connection in Pedal to play an event. And I don't, I can't quite remember how uh, the Mount Rushmore's became a part of that event, but I just know that someone sent me like a link to your because I, I think you were guys, I think you guys were doing a Kickstarter campaign oh, at the yeah. time. Yep. And so I remember watching the video. First of all, I was like loving the quality of the video and slightly jealous because. Um, I did not have the connections at the time to make anything of that quality, <laughs> which is really silly because I was in Nashville, but I was like, this is great quality. And then I really loved the music to that, which I found out later is the music for The Saint, which is is uh, the Mount Rushmore's 
claim to fame. And so, and when you say um, claim to fame, you mean my mom and her friends, like specifically, <laughs> specifically, that's what you mean. Hey, hey, to be fair, I loved the saint. Oh, I, I, loved, I, I loved, I loved that band a lot. It was really funny. Aaron and I are in yeah. the process of buying an RV and uh-huh. we went to the bank yesterday and we were yeah. talking about getting a loan for this RV yeah. and he said, okay, I'll need your bank account number. And I told it to him and he goes, the Mount Rushmore's. And I was like, what? And he was like, that's what, what it says on your bank. I thought for a split second he was a uh, fan, but he was like, <laughs> but he was, he was like, no, no, he's like, no, no, let me be clear. I have no idea what that means. Uh, he was like, that's just what the name <laughs> says. <laughs> so, so, um, yeah. So I was in this space of like, just really starting artistry, I guess. I, well, I guess not really starting, but like I was started it was getting heavier because you were becoming... a teacher at the time yeah I, well okay so i was out of my first big boy job as a teacher and when i transitioned to nashville i was trying to still be a teacher but i just I moved in, into a hiring freeze so it was like being an interim or subbing or tutoring so i was still like in education in some way but i was it was really bivocational I was like really getting to that place of it's time to put my money where my mouth is so to leave to go from Nashville and come back to Mississippi and do a show was like a really big deal and it was cool because it was at Southern and the tailgating event was like a big deal at the time so to be able to come back to the school that I graduated from and play with in this band that I was like gonna bleed for, and that know, was a was great like, band. I remember that band. Oh man, yeah. Well, that was a. Uh, I would have been Colin, Jared Foldy, Jared, yep. Jared Foldy, and then Tony, yep, Klukas, who who was the drummer of Afterlife Parade through its history, throughout its history, and so yeah, it was tight band. So anyway, I just remember the event pulling up into. Was it the? Was it? A bowling alley or a skating rink? It was a skating rink in my memory. Okay, skating rink. And I remember pulling up and there was this trailer for a stage. And I just remember thinking to myself, of course, (laughs) of course, in Mississippi we would I was about to say, that is the most Mississippi thing that you can can come up to. Yeah, so I was just like, oh, man. All right. I you know, played you on just... more. I played on more trailer beds than stages. I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that, like, if you say that you're a touring band, I, I, some, I, I feel like there's a lot of different things that run through people's minds when they think about that. But, um, man, you just get used to playing the jankiest stages ever. Well, and also in my memory, because Aaron and I have been touring now for almost ten years, like for like going on nine wow. years. Yeah. Yeah. And. Just because you walk up and it's a trailer bed does not mean it's going to be a bad time. Like, absolutely, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. it could be yeah, a great sure. show. Oh, for sure. Uh, and um, you've heard me say this a lot. Um, whether five or five thousand, like that's kind of my mindset. It's yeah. like whether you there's do five it. people or there's five thousand people, I'm going to give the same energy every time. Yeah, and it like I'm going to make this on my end a night to remember. So. I think so at the time Afterlife Parade we had a very ornate merch setup 
And that was the that was the point of connection for you and me first. Is I think you came up and you're like, wow. Like you said something like, look at this, look at this merch setup, man. How did you do that? <laughs> like you started asking all these questions about it and and I was like, oh, you know, you're from the Mount Rushmore. I was like, dude, so good to meet you. And, you know, we were, we were talking. And it was like, you know, two sevens just kind of like brainstorming at each other. Yes. And, um, because and like, I, you know, can, then, can we can we stop yeah. right there for a second? Yeah, go so, ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I like to think that you and I are mirror reflections of each other in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, we are yeah. We are both bald. Uh, we both yes. play acoustic guitar. <laughs> and we are both Enneagram <laughs> 7 wing 6s. So yes, if you yeah. and I, you and I can talk on the phone for hours at a time, just Tony yes. Robbinsing each other, just and you're gonna get this. <laughs> I'm with this for your life, and I, like if we would yes. just encourage the. We are like motivational speakers yes. at each other to specifically. Each other. Yes, yeah, but I 100%. remember at that time in our career, I was like, oh no, all you got to do is play shows, and all your dreams will happen. And then I saw yeah. your merch table, and I was like, oh wait, it what matters if you make money at this. Like you, yeah. you gotta actually make this a business, or you can't do it anymore. So after that show, yeah. we had tank tops, we had <laughs> we had like four different shirt designs. We had two graphic designers yeah. in the band, and our merch. Yeah. Every show, we had a different poster. Like it was like oh, as yeah. soon as we saw y'all, we were like, oh, we gotta make this a culture, and it it yes. worked. It was it helped a lot. I think what was really cool about well, first of all, I'll I'll just say that um, I remember us talking for the first time and f thinking like what is happening right now this is so weird it's like wait a second is he about to say what i was thinking yeah yeah he just said what i was thinking it was it was like profound um a connection and it did feel like mirror images and and i think at the time that i was a little bit farther down the road cuz i am older than you um and i saw like well, first of all, I loved your music. I I loved you as a human, and and I was like, man, I would want to at the time. I would want to help that guy if I could. Like, I'd want to help them, and and uh, and it was just like, uh, and and it it wasn't like a um, I'm superior or they need me. It was just like this very free give and take it was also like i know i can learn some things from him too but there's some stuff i think at the time that i saw in you guys that maybe you didn't know about the business and i was like well i'm living in it every day in nashville uh, we so, we legitimately we had no plan we we had no right. like we were all still in college it was legitimately yeah. just like for me i'm always in every band i've ever been in i'm the one taking it way too seriously I'm the one mm -hmm. that's like, oh, they could be out there. Whoever they is that could change the game for us, they're out at that skating rink while I'm on this trailer, right. and they're going to change right. my life. If we do <laughs> – like, if I can yeah. do enough, I can I yeah. can turn this. And my yeah. band was always – in every band I was in, they were always like, dude, you got to chill. We're literally in a skating rink parking lot. We're playing Blink-182 <laughs> songs. This is way too much. But it was really helpful meeting you because – yeah. There were so many conversations we had where it it was like we were like like spiraling the world we wanted to see. We were like weaving a world yeah. that we were planning for. And it was right. helpful for me as like uh, I think the term is a tryhard. It's helpful for me as a tryhard to be able to yeah. go like, oh, I can manifest this with a friend if if we both yes. believe in what we're going for. 
And totally. it was always really hard in the Mount Rushmore's because they were like, dude, we're, we're like, we're into this, but we also like want to get married and we also want to be graphic right. designers. They, and they were up front at the beginning, but I right. always was looking at how do we do this forever? And I met right. you and you were the first person that I had met that wasn't laughing when I said I wanted to do this forever. Totally. Um, I absolutely saw the potential in you and the drive in you that I saw in myself. And and I and I understand the struggle. And I think I did understand the struggle at the time that you were walking through because um, after Life Parade started with just me and then it was I, I brought people into it and I tried to form a collective out of it. And and um it's 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 understandably difficult for people in a band if they to to really get behind your vision if they don't see themselves fully in it or they don't feel like they've made their own stamp on it right right and and it's not that that was exactly what was going on in Mount Rushmore's but it was definitely like you you really were the torchbearer you and and I felt that in my band as well. Well, it's so it's so hard. Like our guitar player is like one of my favorite designers. And like he designed oh, the single yeah. art for Joymonger. And yeah. it's so Did he really? Isn't that crazy? Like Dude, I didn't even know that. It's so hard. That's awesome. It's so hard to like want to, I, I would have been manifesting him to go against his dream, to go towards my right. dream. You know what right. I mean? And I like to think that now I'm in my early 30s and I can see like, oh, it's not for everybody. When I was a kid, I thought, why would you ever have a job that's not music? And a lot of people right. are like, hey, this is kind of fun, but it's not the same. You can't force that on me, right. you know. But he, I will say, yeah. he still does music and to the and right. to the way that makes him happy, but he's also right. crushing it as a designer. So it's yeah. it just for me, I needed all of it. I think I think there's also a piece of it. I don't know if if this if you would agree with this but i i fall in love with people and i want them i want them to i want to be with them and i want them with me along the way and the truth is is that relationships evolve over time and just like you said um those people have to evolve into something else and it might evolve away from the way that you wanted them to be a part of what you were doing. Yeah. And, and, and I think we even have to get to a place of like, I got to go see what's over that hill. And I know that you can't go with me And that. I think the hardest part is, is acknowledging that they can't go with you and grieving that they can't go with you and, like letting letting it go and it's really difficult to let it go yeah i don't know if that's just me no no that's 100 um, percent true and that is the main reason it's it's so funny whenever the mount rushmore's broke up i i was heartbroken it's like losing your family like it's yeah even if we weren't anywhere close to where i wanted to be in my mind we were already there you know what i mean right and when i look back yeah. now i'm like we played like a few shows with a few hundred people and right. i thought that we were about to play coliseums but yeah. After that band broke up <laughs> to protect my heart, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, I'm only going to be a solo artist from here on out. It's going to be me with an acoustic guitar forever. Right. And then 20 minutes later, I meet and fall in love with Erin. And she's like, right. hey, um, I'm willing to like give this a shot. Like, because right. she told me the first time we met, when I say I'm in, I'm in 100%. And here we yeah. are nine years later. But also right. here you and I are nine years later. You know, and it's funny I don't know how many people 
that listen to your podcast, I, I'm sure they, I, I'm sure there's not many people that have any idea who I am. So they wouldn't know <laughs> that, um, I had to, I put afterlife parade to rest in 2018. And that was after eight years of, of doing, doing that. And that to me was like, it was the vehicle. It was the container. And it was one of the most challenging things in my life to, to lay to rest. You and I had a lot of conversations about that over the years and and, still do still do. It's still, it's still heartbreaking, but I think, um, I'd like to, encourage you that watching your transition from the Mount Rushmore's to O Jeremiah actually helped me see that it was possible to let go. <laughs> Cause like, because like t- to me, I, w- I mean, I was a fan of, you know, Jeremiah Strickland, but I was a fan of the Mount Rushmore's and I believed that it, it could do that container could do great things. And to watch your process of letting that go, was encouraging to me that it's possible to let something go that's like really like important to you that like you're you've you put all your you know shoved all the chips into the middle of the table on and then find a life after that and obviously oh jeremiah really is the thing the mount rushmore's was like a rough draft not to demean it not to say that it was it was bad at all but it was like it got you to this and what you're doing now is is so much more authentically you well and, it and reminds I, me I, I so much that. of like you know at this point in my life i've been happily married for five years i can look back on girls that i dated and think of like oh here's why that went well here's how that person helped mold me and i can look at them right. without being like they suck like because we're just <laughs> we're we're past that you know right had the girl broken up with me 30 minutes ago that i wouldn't right. have been as fresh on that but when i look back at the mount rushmore's so much of what that band taught me about um, connection, about camaraderie, about friendship. Like, I still carry wow, that. Man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, when man. we play a festival and we hire a band to play with us, because, you know, we do, like, listening rooms with just the two of us. But when we play right. a bigger show, I always pay the band more than I'm supposed to. I never make money mm. because I'm always like, we need to make this a happy memory for everyone involved. Yeah, and it's just like, I love that, and I think that's what my time in the Mount Rushmore's has. It like every moment with them felt sacred, and I wasn't present yeah. enough with it in the moment, and I was, I was like squeezing it to death when really it was like it was never going to be more than it was, and I could have had way more fun in it while I was in there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think with I that resonates with me a lot with Afterlife Parade. It's, you know, it's funny, like, like how ambitious we are and how hard we work to, to, to get to where we want to go. And that band is super epic. I mean, I just, if if I took everything epic in my mind and in my heart and I put it into that band, right? And it's this funny conundrum, this irony of like you put this record together that really is huge. And then you can't even get a foot in any venue. They don't <laughs> care how it sounds. They care do you have fans? How many, you know, streaming was just starting to happen. So that's a whole nother conversation. So the irony is, is that we had to go backwards. We had to start out in people's homes. We started doing house shows. And and I just remember thinking, 
how do you take this epic thing and distill it and still make it feel huge? And honestly, when I finally embraced that, I I feel like it was the most amazing thing ever because by the time that band ended, you know what I tell a lot of up and coming artists, it it's it's helped me out a lot. This idea of I can fill a house, I can fill a coffee shop. If I can fill a coffee shop, I can fill a bar. If I can fill a bar, I can fill a theater. If I can fill a theater, I can fill an arena. You know, and so just growing out in every city that that you play that uh that was kind of the approach and the whole idea of afterlife pray was be a community cultivating organism we right. really wanted that connection and we really were making those connections in people's homes at at first and then that it, we started graduating into you know bigger spaces gradually um so it really it really taught me that it's possible to have a grassroots following and it taught me to touring is hard and and you have to make the most of every conversation and and it and if you don't then you're you're actually the one that's missing out yeah honestly i think that's like, a really it's, I think what, that's it's a re- what you learn i think that's a really good people. segue uh, cuz you're talking about touring and over covid specifically i lost my total identity as a touring musician like it like mm-hmm. it was all Aaron and i did and it was the my yeah. we were living our dream of playing those dinky coffee shops those those houses the, all those things that we loved and covid hits and we think oh this is going to be like 2 months no big deal and here we are 18 months later and we still can't tour right. and that led me to think okay i can sit around pouting which i'm really good at right. Or I can <laughs> I can rethink what it is to have that connection because that's what we're all trying to get right. Yeah, and yeah. I reach out to you, someone that I can be ugly yeah. in front of, someone that uh, we I have can, we have ugly we have ugly cried yes in front of each yes. other yes like we point. have been we have been ugly we have been pretty we have been strong and courageous yeah and I said hey I want to write with someone for the first time because I've never done it yeah. Yeah. And we started co-writing via Zoom over the pandemic. And it yes. was one of those things where it was a relationship. Our relationship was so strong that I felt comfortable being that vulnerable because I'm 31 yeah. and had never co-written before. Right. And you said, dude, I used to do it all the time in Nashville. I still do it. I can I can yeah. show you the ropes. Let's get into it. And the yeah. first session we wrote was Everything is Beautiful. Everything is Beautiful. Yeah, so... It's funny that, honestly, you're working with you in the very beginnings of, OG, uh, not O.J. Jeremiah, but um, the Mount Rushmores. You were part of conversations that led to me starting Watermain Creative, like a little bit, a few years later. Yep. Which, which uh, obviously, for those that don't know, is my or was our artist development company my wife and I started together and I working with you and you know us um sort of going back and forth about how to be better artists right like it got me thinking I have friends that are extremely talented have so much potential and but I see that I see these friends like not having outside sources to help guide them and move them toward finding like 
their unique DNA. Yeah. That could that could actually help people identify them in the crowd of all the music that exists, right? And and so eventually I started working with, you know, I worked with you, you know, before very lightly. I worked with a few of our other friends and then developed I started developing like plans for artists and and so co-writing that's just a thing that you do in Nashville but then I started co-writing with artists specifically to help them identify ways of writing songs that would help them get seen or get noticed and songs that they could like like really love and embrace or whatever so you know, watching your career with your songwriting, being a fan, you know, um, I was like, I, I was like in the back of my mind, I'm like, I know one day we're going to write together and I can't wait because I know you better than most. And, um, I was just like, man, it's gonna be so cool because, because of who we are as individuals, but who we are as friends. It was like, man, I could not wait for that. So when you finally came and asked me, I was like, yes, this is going to be amazing. <laughs> well, it, was, it was also like my, my thought process was if I can't do it with Quinn, I can't do it. Like it was a really easy, oh, okay. it was a really easy way for me to like figure out if co-writing was a move for me. <laughs> so I could like, let's go top shelf. And if this doesn't go well, this is not an avenue that I should pursue. It was really just me strategically using my time <laughs> more than, you know. I mean, that's, that's fair. Well, yeah, I think, man, uh, what a lot of people might not know about co-writing is it's a lot like dating. In you, so many ways. Yeah. Like you, and you can't base your your songwriting relationship on one session i think it's like an anomaly if it goes that well the first time right it's like it must be divine at that point yeah and so and and i think i man, i want to say i think it was kind of a new level in our relationship because well, we love each other and like each other but it's like uh, if you'll show me yours, I'll show oh, you mine. Well, 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 that like, was exactly <laughs> what it was. But I remember uh, because you were, we did this thing at the at the beginning of co-writing where we were like, okay, let's call each other and catch up on life, and then let's right. jump into the into the session. And I thought that was very right. strategic because like it's going to be like an hour and a half to two hours of our time. Let's go ahead and talk feelings, yeah. and then let's get into the song. And we're talking. Well, and, I, and I remember, I remember, I really had to like lay it out for you, which was fine yeah. for me. It was fine. It was like, okay, here's the agenda of our date. Well, you even, you, even, you also even was like, here's how you split the royalties. Because everyone, yeah, think, yeah, everyone yeah. thinks Aaron and I, like, because we're married and we play music together, we just sit in a room, braid each other's hair, and then, like, write songs at each other. And it just doesn't happen. I write a song, <laughs> and then I show Aaron, and then we sing that song. Right. right. So yeah. I was legitimately like, oh, like, how do I how do I take it if someone doesn't like my idea? Cause like when you're the only person writing, it doesn't matter if they don't like it, they have nothing to do with it. Right. But I right. remember when I was on the walk on the, um, on the let's get ready to write a song session. And then I'm walking up the stairs to come into the session. And you're like, I think I've got an idea for the song. And you go, what if it's something like da da ba da ba ba da da ba ba. And it was that quick that you came up with the instrumental hook to the song. And I was like, yeah. did we just finish the song before we even started the song? <laughs> and well, I think what the way that I try to approach uh, co-writing is I like to – and they there's – in songwriting circles, some people use this phrase, um, come with a gift. I like to bring a gift to the table. That's cool. I love that. 
so like having an idea going into it and um how often do you get how often do you go into a session and that gift is not received or even presented because like if you go into a session they're like oh no no i brought the gift today uh well i i think that in the season of co-writing that i'm in i'm writing with people like you that i've known for a really long time and trust me and and I am a fan of your stuff. And so I, I'm pretty consistently, when it comes to my friends that are making art, get ideas for them. Hmm. And so I keep track of that stuff just in case I end up in a session with you. So I think that that idea had been, probably been around for a while. And, and I was just like holding on to it. Or the moment you're like, we're going to write together. I was like, okay, what do I need to bring to Jeremiah that's going to be great for his catalog? Yeah. What is he What is he missing that I could help him with? Or like not – I, I don't want to keep saying help with because that sounds like um, arrogant maybe. And I'm not trying to be arrogant. It's more like, man, I really want to offer – something of value to him that I think he doesn't have that maybe he could use. I think it could be and easy so, to to take help and and make it dirty like you're saying, but I think I've, as you and I put in 10 years of friendship, like right. you know, like help is not a dirty word to me. Uh No, it's more like I love you. I'm like what song doesn't Jeremiah have or what what is I, I know my friend and I know he's been digging for something in particular. Do I know what he's digging for? Because I'm his friend because I've listened to him. So it was more like I have this. Well, I like, also remember. Let's... So you have the unique perspective of knowing me in the band 10 years ago. And you said, yes, when you played the saint live, the whole crowd came to life. How do we write yes. that song for you? And right. that... my exact words my exact words were, or close to it, was like, I miss the, I miss the party. Yeah. Like, like, I, I think you, and actually, it's funny, we were texting about this, and you said something like, you know, you told me that I need to be funny again, and then my other friend told me. <laughs> no, no, I want to talk about he, Dave. We're coming, we're coming to Dave. But keep, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, keep going. But I was like, it's not, it's not that I need you to be funny. It's that you, you can talk about serious things in a way that's self-deprecating, and, and and I like that, and I missed that. Yeah. And 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 I wanted to see that stop. You know, to simplify it, that stop and clap come back. Yeah. You know, like, I don't literally need to stop in the clap. It's more like, dude, you're so fun. Like, I, I want the bits that you do in between your songs to be your songs in a more long-form way. And so that's what I was trying to lean into. And I was like, and yes, specifically the saint. I, I was like, I don't think that O. Jeremiah has the saint right. in, in the whole catalog. And I was like, man... I, I wonder what that would be like. Yeah. And so 
I was texting you after that because I have been, it happens every time I try to start writing for an album. I will get so in my head. I have this identity crisis where I'm like, what kind of writer am I? Who am I? What am I? And it always goes back to you are the person you've always been. Why do you do this? Why do you waste so much time getting in your head? And right. I've, I've been so in love with the show, Dave. It's on FX, but you can oh, stream Dave. it on a Hulu. And it's the show I've yeah. talked about on this podcast so many times, but it's basically Lil Dicky uh, has a show. And there's this episode in the new season where he goes to Rick Rubin to get out mm-hmm. of writer's block. And the whole season he has writer's block. And he's like, am I the funny rapper? Am I the serious rapper? Am I this guy? Am I this guy? And it goes, he, there's this dream sequence where he meets his ego. And his ego is like, mm-hmm. you're wasting so much time. You can be everything that you are. Stop listening to this. Stop listening to that. Just be the thing that you are. Because they see that in you because it's in there. But you're right. you're overthinking it to the point where it like... I will take a compliment like, dude, I love when you're funny. And I'll go, oh, does that mean I'm only supposed to be funny? Whenever really you're just saying, I like this part of what you bring to the table. Right. And it's really helpful because you know me and you're like, I know you so well. This is a part of you that I really love. And you're never saying this is the only thing about you that I like. But my brain Mm -hmm. is will take that and make it an ugly thing. Yeah, I I think part of my instincts and it's funny to talk about this because I'm in a season of this with myself uh, in terms of identifying what sets me apart as an artist, right. what makes me unique, and owning that and accepting that. And whatever I make next, I hope hopefully will embody me more than anything I've ever made, right? But when it comes to my friends who are artists, it's it's more like I feel like I, I have a – a good sense of like what what really I don't know I want to be careful about saying this I I I feel like I can reasonably say that I have a track record of helping artists figure out what makes them unique and you like leaning into that so that they really do set themselves apart and so with you it's like I think I saw you denying a part of yourself that really does set you apart. It wasn't that I was asking or wanting you to completely disconnect from the serious songwriter part of you, but that other side of you wasn't represented enough to to make you like an integrated like artist to me. Does that make sense? No, it makes to- it makes total sense. And I think and I think again, not to beat a dead horse, but it goes back to how well you've known me for so long because you're like, I know you. Where's that side of you? Right. Yeah. Exactly. Where, That's exactly what was going. Whereas on. when we released our first record, I remember the producer saying, "Hey, do you only write sad songs or do you have happy songs?" And I was like, well, yeah, because at the time it was um, Sinking Ship. It was Circles, all these songs about dying. (laughs) And then (laughs) and then like I had to like go in and write happy songs. Dinner Conversations is the first song on that record. And I wrote it in the studio. Uh, I wrote it. My favorite. Well, I had no intention of that being on the record because all I had was the dinkle dink. I just had a riff and he goes, dude, yeah. that's the song. You need to write that song. But wow. I know that's in there and it's right. especially hard to pull that out of me after these last 18 months. Like I'm getting more yeah. comfortable being like, Hey, 
you don't have to be funny all the time. Like it can still be in there. Right. But maybe this isn't the time to make jokes. Like maybe Well well, so okay, so first of all, I think you bring out a good point. I think that in that situation you had someone to pull that out of you. Right. And I think that in within the artist community, that's why we co write. We sometimes need people to pull something out of us that we can't pull out of ourselves. And so that's why we co write. On the other side, I think what's actually profound, and I know that I, I, I really hope that some of the other songs that we've written together will see the light of day um, because it would, because I love them. I think they're great. But I think that some of those songs, while they, like, they feel upbeat, they're also really serious. Right. Like, like some of the stuff that you and I have talked about and written about. Cause dude, we've written like six or seven songs yeah. at this point. Yeah. I think um, that's for everybody that wants to hear them. <laughs> make sure you demand that Jeremiah records them. Uh, well, I, I do, I do think, so we went into a session and we were literally just like, I don't know, let's just see what happens. And we go into a session and, and I've already told you this, but I was like, oh, I think we just started our third album. And I had no intention. <laughs> right. And like the album, like the album, I have no plan. It was just like, there was this moment where I was like, oh, I think I just started something. And right. it was, it's really special whenever you feel that like demand in your heart go, hey, it's time to get to work. So I, right. and it's been really helpful to have you because I haven't felt, I mean, dude, I've been in therapy for the last six months like trying yeah. to overcome the weight of like losing our job and all that other stuff. And it just hasn't yeah. felt like I'm, I'm trying to be funny, but it's been really cool mm. to have you go, Hey dude, I know you, I know this is a season. Why don't we channel yeah. that, that moment? Why don't we get into those right. feelings and, and, and make sure they're still there. Let's be serious, but let's have some fun. Right. Which I think is yeah, a really I, cool thing that like really good friends yeah. can can navigate you. Oh, come on, Siri. Sorry, uh, Siri was trying to talk to me as um, as I was recording. <laughs> well, I think we I we need a spit valve, and one of your gifts as a human is is your comedy. You know, um, and uh, actually, I have a I have a friend, and he's a firefighter, and he told me this. It's a really devastating story, but it's also like how people deal with hard things. Um, apparently, there was this lady, her husband left, and she was watching TV. And while he was gone, she, I think, had a heart attack. And he came back several hours later. And when he, he came home, he found her. This is really morbid. I'm sorry. No, it's all right. But he found her in the same chair with the remote in her hand. But she was gone, and all the blood had drained down to her, her ankle, and and yeah. it was, looked like a, a, it looked like um, an eggplant. Oh no! So, so my friend, you know, he he was part of the team that came in. They they handled her, and and um, and then on the way home, they were joking about eggplants. <laughs> And and he said that anytime he sees one, it brings him back to that moment. Wow. And but it was interesting that he was saying that like the way that they processed that trauma was to to make jokes about it. So I think we have this weird way of, as humans of like dealing with what we what we go through. So I I, I don't think that um <laughs> I mean, some of what you've been through is as serious 
I know to you as as something like that. But I I think that what I like about you is you have this way in your jokes of bringing out a goodness and like heart to like like stuff that feels heavy. That makes sense. Well, not to get and, not to get enneagram, even though I love talking about the enneagram, especially whenever it's two sevens. Uh, one of the characteristics of a seven is they will make jokes at your expense as a form of intimacy. So right. like there's this, there's a thing where I will, I will hear myself accidentally and it doesn't happen often. I'm not always like, Oh yeah, stupid shirt. And whenever really, I'm, you know what I mean? <laughs> or whatever. But uh, oh, part of, I feel like part of my growing up was learning how to tell a joke in order to show someone that I love them. And I feel oh, like, right I feel like for me, it's the same in songs. Like every night yeah. I get to sing, even if it kills me, I get to the line where it's all of my other friends take pictures of sandwiches. And I right. love that moment when I can tell when an audience is really tuned in cause they, they get the joke and like there's this brief, yeah. I love the term spit valve. I've never really like heard that before, but yeah. there's this breath of, Oh, it doesn't have to be serious all the time. Like we can have some fun. Yeah. Um. Every time I well, say serious, yeah. my Siri thinks that I'm trying to talk to it. It's really? so funny. That's hilarious. Well, I think I think um, writing with other people is like a spit valve for me because I have so many interests and so many things I want to try, and and I know that I can't do it all in the one container that's got my name on it, or right. My new my new band Saint Social or you know, uh, another project I have called Bloom in the Bliss. And so to write with you is, is a form of, you know, release, uh, in a form of, um, uh, trying something on, on a new hat. So, um, but what's interesting to bring this very full circle is that everything is beautiful is actually a sad song. Mm. It's, it's a sad song about what I what you used to have or what you miss, yeah, and um, what you're looking forward to. And so I think that's I think that's the thing as a songwriter that we have to play with is is irony. And I I don't know if people really can sense that about that song, but that's how it was born. It was you talking about what you missed and what you want to get back to. Well, it's and it's so funny because when we were writing that song, uh, not to like show your hand, but the, uh, at the beginning of the session, when we we realized kind of the song we were trying to write, and you said, "I want you to paint the picture of where you of where you miss, like what you miss doing," and I th and if I remember correctly, we wrote we wrote it in like April or May of 2020, and yeah. There's this bar in town that I love. It's called Normal Bar. It's where all of our friends hang out. It's like our Cheers. I can't think of a yeah. more uh, a, a more new reference than a '70s show, um, but yeah. <laughs> or whatever. Uh, but I I remember the last night before everything closed down, we were all throwing darts. We were all drinking, having a good time, and Aaron's best friend Katie was like laughing really loudly. Like she, we were mm. all in just a really good place, and. I, and I told you that, and then you were like, oh, like, what if the line is, I can't he hear your sentiment over your best friend's laugh? And it's like, because in my head, when I go back to that place, I can still hear her laughing. I can still feel like the night sweeping through Athens and just like all mm. of us in a room together. And I just missed it so bad. 
but right. you you have to dig to find that emotion because it's surrounded by like happy horns and stomping and clapping and all that other things. But I think you right. did a great job on helping me tell that story, but also like, Hey, it, it's going to come back. And that's what the hope in the song is. It's like, it's, we miss that, but it's coming back. And also as right. two sevens, it's really cool that the, the hook is everything is beautiful in a time when everything was so not. Yeah. Well, I mean, even the, the, the the first lyric that you brought was oceans turning over in a hurricane glass. Yeah. You know? And I I like that because it it's suggest it's very suggestive. So it's like the, the suggestion is is this gonna be like ominous or is this about to be amazing? Right. You know, and I, I in that very first lyric I feel like it encapsulates that yeah this this feeling of unease that we really do feel in the world right now but also an ocean of possibility yeah you know and um and then what what is the last lyric in verse two uh it's like oh um like everything is beautiful in our backyard yeah is that right um i for me backyard isn't an actual backyard backyard is like the world. Yeah. You know, like, like it's all, it all comes back together. And I think that's the stuff with lyrics that, that is more nuanced. And, and, and I think that as writers, that's what we're hoping that people will see in them. Yeah. You know, not to give, not to give anything away, not to give everybody behind the song, but I know for me that that's how I interpret it. Yeah. It's like everything is beautiful in our backyard. Again, it's going to be, beautiful again yeah because i don't even have a yard <laughs> <laughs> that's right you do. yeah i don't that's even so have funny. a yard but uh yeah man I, I i know that it's the first of of so many we still have like seven that we're sitting on and i know that yeah. you know we're gonna get right back to writing and it's so funny like so many times our sessions we don't even write we end up just like it ends up becoming like couples therapy but we're the couple right and right. uh <laughs> like our last I, I think i'm gonna i'm gonna give this away i feel like everyone needs to demand that you record southern accent <laughs> i love that so much. everybody you need to you need to email jeremiah and demand that he and aaron record southern accent but it's it's so cool because we've done it enough times now where it's like you're like hey i feel like this is one of those times where we need to talk through this. Cause like I came to the last yeah. session with my like insecurities and writer's block and you were like, dude, why don't we just like talk it out? And I know that like, yeah. there's that level of safety in a co-write. There's that, um, that level of friendship that, that gets through these moments. Cause like right. sometimes I want to just be like heard. I don't know. It's, it's such a, it's such a weird line to walk of I, I want to write a good song, but also like we got to take care of each other. And I just, I've, I've really loved this experience and I'm, and I'm looking you know, forward to doing it so yeah. much more. I don't know if this is the metaphor that I come up with as a seven when it comes to songwriting and what I would want someone who's co-writing a song for my catalog, this or producer or something this is what I would want them to do for me. I feel like as a seven, it's like living life with floaties in a pool <laughs> and you're trying to swim to the deep end, but your floaties keep you from getting there. Mm. And I think sometimes it would just be nice if someone would just snip the floaties off. Just like, yeah, you know, just let you go. Like, 
just go all the way there. And so I think the last conversation we had was my way of saying, dude, let's cut those floaties off you, man. You got to feel this. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's more like, that's what you need, I think. And, and so you're right. I think that sometimes like, um, songwriting sessions can turn into counseling sessions, but what's beautiful about that is like when you come out the other side, you have something that's really authentic and pure and is full of feeling. And it's not that as sevens that we're unfeeling, but we have to really work at going all the way there because it's really the comedy and the, the 30,000 foot view that might, if we're not careful, keep us, from like you know like really like writing a moment into existence that is full of feeling then again uh it's great being a seven but i'm i'm convinced chris martin is a seven and (laughs) he's put out anthems that keep us dancing right so we we need that too we need we need need the yellows of the world and the (laughs) the higher powers of the world and the Charlie Browns, right? I was talking. I was talking to my therapist about about this very thing about how like I always have this insecurity that if I start singing sad songs, like people are going to be like, "Oh, I'm not here for that." And then, as someone that's mm. finally being vulnerable, finally being honest, it's like I'm afraid they're gonna they're gonna leave, and I'm gonna be like, "Oh, see, no one cares about what you actually feel." And she was like, mm. "Maybe it's time to clean house." Like maybe, maybe it's time to let those people go. And it's, it's just a really, I don't know. There's a time and there's a place for the yellow for, and there's also the time for the Charlie Brown and, uh, yeah. higher power and all those other things. Like, I, I definitely agree with that. And, uh, D- did I, okay. So I have a good friend and he, he's in a doctor who, and he showed me this clip <clears throat> from, an episode where Doctor Who goes and finds Vincent Van Gogh and brings him to the present. Did we talk about no. that? Oh man. Okay, dude. He showed me this clip and I cried. So basically, the setup is, I I didn't watch the episode. I just saw the clip. <laughs> Vincent Van Gogh is in the present, and Doctor Who brings him to this museum where it's like this big Vincent Van Gogh exhibit. And historically, we know that Vincent Van Gogh died before his genius was recognized by the world. Right. So technically he would never know that that his art He didn't even know became... he was Vincent Van Gogh. Right. Yeah. So he's at this museum and it's like this big Vincent Van Gogh uh, exhibit and yeah, of course he's like blown away that all his paintings are celebrated everybody's so interested in him. Well, Doctor Who does this thing where like apparently uh there's a there's a like a Vincent Van Gogh historian in this hanging out in this exhibit and Vince Van Gogh does this thing where he has uh, or I'm sorry Doctor Who has this thing where he makes Vince Van Gogh like turn around and then he has Doctor Who has this conversation with this expert so that Vince Van Gogh could hear it and um, he asks this, this guy like so tell me tell me why you think Vince Van Gogh is so amazing and so this guy just he i'm gonna read this to you because it's it's gorgeous but it he just starts talking about vince van gogh in this way and of course vincent's crying and <laughs> and we're crying because we're like to be an artist that was a genius and never know it and then come back 
in the future and find out that like the work you did had meaning and power right so this is what he said he uh he meaning vance van gogh transformed the pain of his tormented life into ecstatic beauty pain is easy to portray but to use your passion and pain to portray the ecstasy and joy and magnificence of our world no one had ever done it before amazing dude do i have to start watching doctor who oh my gosh dude there's no i i i tried man (laughs) there's so much man there's no there's like there's an infinite amount of doctor who episodes i mean it's just not gonna happen (laughs) i love that quote because like i think that as sevens we if we can I have this thing I say, uh, the depth of my grief is the depth of my joy. Mm. And so I choose grief. The farther I go down in it, the more power my joy actually has. So I'm hoping as a human and as an artist that over time, that's what actually people experience from me as just me. And then they experience that in my, my work in, in my art. And so I think that there's a way to do both there's a way to to like acknowledge the hard stuff and to admire its beauty and find the joy in it you know and and i think that that's something that's really unique about being a seven is is we do have this sense of a thirty thousand foot view so i think that a song like everything is beautiful to me it's not um surface level there's it's it's a very full feeling because you you have chosen your grief you've chosen to like acknowledge the darker parts of yourself and your experience and and it gives that celebratory joyful part of you more weight at least that's what i've experienced (laughs) from you no i I love and i I hope that other people will continue to experience that from you as well dude i love that so much i think that's a great note to end on that uh that overwhelms me Quinn Irwin, I love you more than you will ever know. And not even possible. Dude, I appreciate I appreciate <laughs> you coming on the podcast. I hope you'll come back. Thanks, this man. is a great time. Yeah. It's amazing that yeah. it's taken this long to get you on here. I know, man. Come on, bro. <laughs> well, in my defense, I asked you two weeks ago and you totally didn't respond to me. I totally forgot. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm terrible. Dude, I love you, man. Thank you for coming on. I'll see you soon. I love you too.